Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Gazzarioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. Whatever time of day it may be, wherever you're listening, this is episode number 118 of Americans Watching the Footy, and it's our round 18 preview. I'm Ethan Castle, coming to you from South San Francisco, California, where I couldn't really come up with a good cold open. Sorry. I'm Benjamin Castle, also in South San Francisco, California, and I was preoccupied with just staring at Brian Arambe, the footy cat, being so peaceful while we shoot the shit about footy. So yeah. No cold open. This is a hot open. And I guess we have some news somewhat hot off the presses considering some confirmation of suspensions. It was three games for Toby Nankervis, one game for Caleb Sarong. We knew that Nick Haynes had accepted his one-game suspension already, so had Andrew Phillips. But there's also some trade rumblings that I know you're particularly keen on, Ethan. Yeah, this one, I didn't really see this coming, but apparently the Cats have been in on... Bailey Smith, been talking with him kind of behind the scenes for a while. This is his fifth year with the Dogs after being the seventh pick in 2018, going to be approaching his 100th game, but hasn't found as much of the footy this year. I think that overall health of the midfield has contributed to that. He's played at half forward. He's been putting, kind of put out of position at times, and I think that's one of the reasons he would want to move. I mean, clearly... There are spots in the midfield up for grabs in Jalar. Yeah, and as it sounds more and more like Darcy Parrish might stay at Essendon, which really hope doesn't happen, but if it does go on like that, uh, Bailey Smith as like a backup plan, that would be pretty cool. I mean, that, that seems like a pretty good backup plan as far as backup plans are concerned. Regardless of what the situation is on both of them, now that we've had these rumors, I just want to see... Cats fans just going crazy every time each of them have the ball in their respective games at Cardinia Park, because that apparently happened for Patrick Dangerfield before he came over. Yes, I, I think it's hilarious. I want to go back and see some footage from that game, which I think was near the end of the 2015 home and away campaign. But we'll put the cat talk aside. However, Bailey Smith is somewhat topical because he is ruled out of the last Thursday night game of the home and away season. The dogs go into the SCG, where they'll play the Sydney Swans, of course. 7.20 p.m. local time for American audiences on Fox Soccer Plus and Watch AFL. 5.20 a.m. Eastern, 2.20 Pacific. I am really glad to be back on Pacific time for things like this for a couple weeks. It'll be way easier to actually watch some of these Thursday night games that a lot of times I've had to kind of go back and watch after the fact. I mean, you also just have a really fucked up sleeping schedule in general. Whereas, you know, a lot of people, what they do is, that, you know, they just work at reasonable morning hours. Then they Fuck just, that. 
Then they just get up early and watch the games at reasonable Central and Eastern times like Coach Donnie Hess does in Iowa, Lee Howard in North Carolina. Yeah, I like watching these games live. Oh, yeah. Speaking of... Uh, and spoiler free. And speaking of um, people keen on this game, our friend uh, Froda out in Florida, the fireman at Fort Myers. Huge Bulldogs fan. The Swans enter in 15th after their loss at Richland. They are 6-9-1. and one. They basically need to win out or have maybe one loss and a lot of things to go their way in order to make the eight at this point. The Dogs are 9-7 and seven in 7th after their loss to Collingwood. Yeah, I'd say at most, really, one loss. I mean, you lose one, you could get in at 12-10-1, but it would require a lot of other things to work out for you, you know, with how other games pan out. So not not a lot of margin for error. Now, if it seems like this matchup is always a Thursday or Friday night, that's because it usually is, and we get a lot of both of these teams on Thursdays and Fridays. Last year, they played twice with the home team winning each time. The Bulldogs winning by 11 on a Thursday where they couldn't kick straight after starting the season 0-2. They bounced back nicely. They won by 11 behinds, 9-17 to 9-6. And then the Swans absolutely kicked their asses at the SCG on a Friday night in round 17 by 53. It was kind of a stretch in the Bulldogs season last year where they were just, they looked lifeless. And it's like this, you know, you would have been totally justified if you said that they weren't going to play finals as they had also gotten stomped at the Gabba the week before. For a while, I thought it was going to be that loss in Ballarat to the Crows last year that would have done them in. Instead, they managed to make it through thanks to Carlton. And we could still laugh about that, yes? Oh, absolutely. This is going to be a milestone for John Longmire. Not only is it his 300th game as a coach, it's his 500th between playing and coaching as he played exactly 200 games for North Melbourne. Yeah, and went out as a premier in 1999. It's fun going back in looking at the playing accomplishments of some of these head coaches. Longbire, for example, was the Coleman medalist in 1990 and North's leading goal kicker for five years in a row. His swans will remain without Chad Warner. His calf injury is keeping him out for his third consecutive game. Definitely also hurts that they'll be without Angus Sheldrick with a moderate to severe ankle injury. No timeline yet on that. And Jake Lloyd was concussed by that awful Toby Dan Curvis bump, so he's out as well. It was very awkward for them to divide up some of the roles in defense last week once Lloyd was out. Not as many strong ground ball players that you're going to need to have Nick Blakey play in more of a solid defensive 50 role, more of a ground ball player in that respect. It was tough for them to adjust on the fly, and I think having a full week to prepare, they should be able to come up with a better balance. I think Blakey will be key to that. Because he's shown his merit in 1v1s as well as ground ball ability and being that slingshot player that we know he could be from when the Swans were at their best last year. Joe Lamardi was managed last week. That was part of a way to get Buddy back in for seemingly now very likely his last game at the G. Here's something we didn't really expect, though. Sam Wicks is also in, so this is going to be a very tall forward look for the Swans between Buddy, Amardi, McLean, McDonald and Wicks. Wow. I mean, yes, you've got Tom Papley on the smaller side still, and Will Hayward and Isaac Heaney as well, but I didn't think Sydney were going to have that many talls in. I guess that's just their way of countering the dogs. Meanwhile, um, Tom Hickey's out? So I guess McLean's your first-rate ruck because Pete Laddams isn't in yet. That's a bit surprising. Maybe they want to cut their losses against Tim English and prioritize other parts of the ground. I mean, 
stoppage contests should still be fantastic with what the Swans have in Luke Parker and James Rowbottom. I think Rowbottom will be crucial in this contest. And would you put him on Tom Libertori or Marcus Bontempelli? Yeah, I would put him on Bontempelli for this game. Yeah, I guess. I mean, at the stoppages, I'd put a bit more focus on Libertori, maybe. Between Parker and Rowbottom, they're going to have that reasonably covered, I think. I don't think it's going to be like a hard tag the whole way, but just very hard on the two of them at stoppages. I, I could see that happening. I'm not sure exactly where you use Rowbottom, actually, other than that, you know, he's going to get a shit ton of tackles because that's just what he does. I think it's more likely to see that matchup, especially with Warner remaining out. Speaking of those Bulldogs injuries, Bailey Smith is going to be out with an illness. He wasn't at 100% last week, which would also explain his diminished production between that and just being late further forward. Uh, Ryan Tika Masala Gardner could be back from his ankle injury. And then down to the VFL, Sam Darcy had a second consecutive good game. I see no reason to hold him back at this point, especially considering the team didn't exactly put up a great performance last week. But he kicked four goals and then... Buku Kamas had another good game. If you need any rock support, not that you usually need much. Jordan Sweet was strong there. He could be auditioning for a move this offseason. And then Oscar Baker and Riley Garcia both played well. I was surprised that Baker got dropped a couple weeks ago. And especially with Bazalika out, he seems like the type of player that could slide into a half-forward role and fit more naturally there. Yeah, there's been some, some weird moves. Uh, Swan's favored by four and a half. I wouldn't despite home field lean Bulldogs here to win this game outright. I'm very divided on this one now. It's a matter of how things will look in Sydney's forward 50, whether Gardner's able to go and how much Ed Richards will be able to cover. I think between Logan McDonald, Joel Marty, and yeah, buddy, the dogs could get overwhelmed there. And as for Darcy coming in, He's kicked four goals, but they also need some defensive coverage, so maybe you could kind of move around him, Aaron Naughton, some halfback time. Darcy will be in, and Rory Lobb is out. I, you said you hadn't seen him much last week. Yeah, I honestly, if looks like, so Rory Lobb was not on the flight to Sydney, maybe, you know, I don't know if this is just a omitted thing or if he's just being omitted, but I totally would have been okay with him being omitted. We've kind of been calling it for a while, hadn't we? Probably make some Docker supporters happy. They'll probably be drinking some lobster tears watching on Thursday night. Friday night footy at the MCG, Melbourne hosting Brisbane. This will be your typical 7.50 p.m. Melbourne start time, 5.50 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S., 2.50 a.m. Pacific time. As with most Friday games, it'll be on Fox Sports 2. The D's come in at 10-6. and 6. They're in fourth, coming off a win over the Saints. And the Lions are 12-4. and four. They're in third, coming off a win over the Eagles. You don't often get a Friday night double up, but that's what we got here because the Lions beat the Demons by 11 at the Gabba in round two. The thing is, though, they were up 40 in the fourth quarter, and then the lights went out. That is definitely the thing that is most remembered from this game. Caused a 38-minute delay for why we weren't sure if the game was going to resume. And then Melbourne came out looking refreshed, despite having lost Max Gaughan early to a hamstring injury. Was there like a view of him in the rooms being all upset with his injury? Or am I thinking of a different injury for somebody else at some point this season? No, they cut to him multiple times just sitting there in the rooms looking forlorn. 
it would be really funny if the percentage that the demons made up at the end of that game ended up meaning something to either team. So that's that's a fun little subplot to stay tuned to as the season winds down. Health-wise, looks like the Ds could go unchanged because Harrison Petty's been cleared from his rib injury. Though, if you want to bring guys up from the VFL, Josh Shackey kicked four goals, Jacob Van Royen kicked one, and then the same typical mix of Cade Chandler, James Harms, Adam Tomlinson are all in the conversation. Chandler was an emergency last week, first game being dropped in a while. Wouldn't be shocked if he's named as an emergency again, maybe get to look as the sub. I believe it was Joel Smith who was the sub last week coming in for Petty. There will be some moving around of magnets, though, within the steady 18, because Simon Goodwin saying Christian Petraka will spend more time forward, which, I mean, is kind of obvious, considering he kicked four goals straight last week and maybe finally got over some of his kicking woes through that. And with Causey Pickett not getting as much of the ball, he'll be shifted in the midfield to have more of a say in the game. I like that just because Causey's a good runner, and I love seeing what he can do from logger out, whether it's making connections, getting assists, or just deciding, fuck it, I'm about to finish it myself. I think we're in for a real Kazi highlight in this game. It's been a couple weeks without one, so that would be that would be appropriate. The weather in Alice Springs kind of robbed us of one. I am still surprised that during that game, he didn't really, like, his goal didn't set off, you know, like, this massive wave of momentum that the Demons were able to ride to victory, because that that usually happened. Didn't happen on Thursday night prior to that against Geelong either. Josh Dunkley missed the romp over the Eagles with a calf injury, and he may miss again. He's more doubtful to return than Jared Berry is from his hamstring injury. It's obviously still a very crowded list for the Lions. Cal Achi will be out of concussion protocol. Lincoln McCarthy is available from his suspension for that jumper punch he put on Cam McIntosh. In terms of who's at risk, I mean, you automatically think of the younger players in the midfield like Devin Robertson and Jasper Fletcher. I really like Robertson, but I hope he's left out and is discouraged enough by his inability to get time that he requests a trade to the Eagles. Also, Daniel Rich hasn't really been mentioned in things, but had a solid VFL outing, and I'm wondering how long it is until he gets back in. Hopefully, it doesn't take away from Kadeed Coleman's role, and Rich can be a supplementary piece there and a half back, because Coleman's returned to his best in the past few weeks. Demons favored by four and a half. I think this is one of those where, you know, the the location really decides everything. The home team tends to have a better track record in this game. A bit of that was upset last year by Melbourne's victory in the last round, and then Brisbane finally getting a win at the G in finals. But considering venue and health, I do like this matchup. I like that Melbourne have multiple capable rucks who can split the time against Oscar McInerney. Although I'll say that last ruck thing there with a bit of an asterisk because it's not Brody Grundy who's that other ruck besides Max gone. It's Jacob Van Royen. Grundy is out. That's dramatic. Wow. I, I think we'll have a lot more to say about that in the recap because we'll really see the impact of it on the contest. I love Van Royen getting back in. I'm just surprised at the circumstances through which it came about. Defensively, I'm keen on how they're going to decide to take on Joe Danaher and Eric Hipwood. Do you have Beaver go to Danaher because he's more capable in the air? I don't know. I mean, you're kind of trying to make up some size if that's the case. I mean, you're, you'd be making up size with Stephen May, too. I think it's going to be between Lever and Petty, I guess, to have some of those taller tasks. So that's an area where Melbourne could be exploited. 
I mean, Hipwood certainly did his job in that semifinal last year, and that was with Danifer out because he had done something about nine months prior. That's still such a surprising finals win to me, even 10 months later. I mean, if that can happen, Brisbane can take this one. I'm I'm happy that this is another Friday nighter. And hopefully, I mean, I want it to be as close as what that game ended up being round two just throughout instead of right at the end. Weird schedule this week where we got five games on Saturday despite having a Thursday nighter. No middle Sunday game on Channel 7. I'm not entirely clear as to why. Maybe some Australian listeners could inform us as to maybe something that's happening over there that would take that time because it's not cricket. It wouldn't be the Wimbledon final at that point because that's a bit later. I'm not sure. Yeah, we might be missing something like pretty obvious. I'm not sure. Regardless, the first of these Saturday games at that typical earliest time, 1.45 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time is Collingwood and Frio at the G. So it'll be 11.45 a.m. for Western audiences. For us Americans on Fox Sports 2. For us Americans on Fox Sports 2 at 11.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 Pacific. Top of the ladder, Collingwood coming off a good win against the Bulldogs against a reeling Dockers side in 14th at 7-9, and nine, defeated by the Blues and without their best contested player against a team that can win contests like it's nobody else's business, except maybe Melbourne's. These teams met twice last year, round 10 at Optus Stadium, Collingwood won by 36, water fell from the sky, and then Ollie Henry came on for an injured Mason Cox and kicked four goals. They also met in the semifinals that the Pies won by 20, but they won that game by a lot more realistically. It was nice that David Mundy was able to get a goal in his finale, and Michael Frederick had a really good goal right at the end, too, that got the Collingwood crowd to gasp. But yeah, it was the Pies in control throughout that game. Collingwood have ruled out Brody Mychek for another game with his hamstring injury. Will Hoskinelli is joining him on the sidelines. He was subbed out after injuring his hand last week. We're waiting on whether or not Braden Maynard and Steele Sidebottom can come back in. Maynard had both shoulder and knee issues last round. And Sidebottom injured his hamstring in his 300th game against North a number of rounds ago. He was out of that game before quarter time, I believe. Yeah, it was, I think in hindsight, we can kind of laugh about it. I think it's easier to laugh about that one than getting hurt within 78 seconds on your debut. Yeah, I hope that uh, Jacob Bauer has a prosperous enough career that we can also laugh about that. But considering how Colin would have done, hard for anyone to be too upset unless you had, like, you know, traveled a great distance to be there specifically for side bottom. We talk about these outs and these tests, but there is a confirmed in at last. Dan McStay, welcome back. That finger tendon injury is not holding him back any longer. Made a return through the VFL last week. Wasn't anything special, but convinced Craig McRae enough that he could get through a full game. He was subbed off with that finger tendon injury quite early in round five. He'd gotten just one disposal against the Saints. I'm wondering if it's McStay coming in to help cover Mayacek's absence, or if that also puts another tall forward like Mason Cox at risk. Cox has been quieter these past couple weeks. Kick no goals to this past Saturday. I know he can be a real spark and an agitator, and it's obvious how much we like him, but I'm wondering if this is going to be a wake-up call for him. I don't think he needs it. I think, you know, at his age and maturity-wise, if it happens, it would just be a performance-based thing. And I can see it happening. 
with Hoskin Elliott out and Maynard possibly as well, I'd love for Harvey Harrison to come back in, of course, but I'm more keen on Finn McRae finally getting a game. Jack McRae's half-brother, 38 touches this past week in the reserves, has yet to get a game this year. It seems obvious, and if you want to try and retain him before he tries to go join Jack at the Bulldogs, now's the time to do it. But honestly, I feel pretty convinced about Collingwood winning this game, regardless of who's out there for him, especially with that aforementioned suspension looming for the Dockers. Yeah, Caleb Sarong being out hurts. There are a lot of times in recent weeks where he's been like one of the only really positive contributors for them. You also have Brennan Cox out with an ankle injury and Hayden Young. Could move James Aish in the middle with Sarong out. Bailey Banfield and Sam Sturt were both emergencies last week. I'm expecting some pretty big changes considering the performance they put up, or rather didn't. Yeah, you're looking at bringing in more defenders rather than forwards. Having said that, covering Sarong will require a lot of magnets to get moved around. Will you try to put Liam Henry more on ball, perhaps? I want to see what he can do in contests, considering how much he's gotten the ball a bit further back. And you know how much we talk about Bailey Banfield. I strongly believe he's one of their best 18. From the waffle, looks like options include Joel Hamling, Corey Wagner, uh, midseason draft selection Ethan Stanley. But it's going to be tough because you're looking at filling defensive holes rather than forward. I mean, maybe someone like Nathan Wilson works his way back in. I could see Wilson coming in. Hamling replacing Cox seems somewhat likely at this point. He's played just two games at AFL level since 2019, but it's the most like for like, I would say. It's a very tough spot to be in, needing to replace those not just tall defenders, but ball collecting defenders as well. Guys who can help control a game from the back, and they'll obviously be under a lot of pressure because they're playing Collingwood. 39 and a half points, the current line in the Pies favor. Would you push this out further, Ethan? Um, I think it would be tough to push it out much farther, considering that this is the sort of game where I could see Frio being annoyingly competitive. I feel like they're a team that could you know, try to kind of fight fire with fire and try to run some counterattacks of their own. In other words, like, play like they should. So like we said, it is a five-game Saturday, and game number two of those, starting 25 minutes after the first... Get used to that again with Thursday night going away after this. It is Gold Coast hosting St. Kilda at Heritage Bank Stadium. Second meeting between the two clubs this year. It'll be a Fox Soccer Plus game. It'll be 2.10 p.m. in Queensland. It'll be 12.10 a.m. on Saturday on the East Coast of the United States. It'll be 9.10 p.m. Friday on the West Coast where we are. And it'll be 3.10 p.m. in the Solomon Islands. And if you're in the Solomon Islands, you can shame their government for getting cozy with China. Getting cozy with them, they're basically sucking them off at this point. Yeah, uh, they're sucking them off for infrastructure. The CCP is bad. That's all you need to know. This podcast was already banned in China, by the way. I think my uh, Winnie the Pooh thumbnail did it in. I wonder if we could get banned elsewhere. Kind of like, you know how, um, well, well, Brunei as well, I think has already happened. And probably Saudi Arabia. Well, Brunei, I mean, if we reference, like, two men smiling at each other. I mean, I mentioned the Swans Pride round of the past, so there we go. But, like, you know how one of the advertising lines for Monty Python's Life of Brian was, like, so funny it was banned in Norway? That's that's what I want to go for here. The Gold Coast Suns? So pathetic that Stuart Dew was banned from coaching them? No, he's not dead, by the way. So, yeah, Stephen King, the... 
caretaker coach for the Suns. He does not have any prior head coaching experience. A Geelong Premiership Ruck from their 2007 side has been their lead assistant for about a year and a half. And uh, game on. Try to snap an eight-game head-to-head losing streak against the Saints. The most recent of those defeats at their hands being a 53-point loss at Marvel Stadium in round four in which Jack Higgins kicked 5-1. Higgins a test this week with a knee concern. Watch out. Ethan's on the move. With a new coach, you would think the Suns could swing a bunch of changes, get a sense of what upper management wants. Also, apparently, their GM doesn't even live in Gold Coast. He lives in Sydney. That's a strange disconnect that I don't think any serious club would tolerate. Yes, I'm saying the Gold Coast Suns are not a serious club. Wouldn't you want the guy in the offices? That seems blatantly obvious. Yeah, even though there's a lot of things that can be done remotely, that doesn't seem like one of them. Between you want him to be there for training and interactional games and interacting with players, being there, uh, being present for contract talks. Yeah, seems like a major issue. Of course, St. Kilda will have their own share of issues this week. Max King has re-injured his shoulder and is out for the remainder of the season. This, of course, also robs us of a King clash, which we were also robbed of last year by Ben's ACL injury. Ben was subbed off this past week. Ben was not injured. He just played like shit. (laughs) That sounds really funny, just like being vulgar with ASMR stuff like that. We also were deprived of a King clash in round four this year as... Max was still recovering from his injury. In terms of some of those changes, for the Suns, Jeremy Sharp and Elijah Hollins providing some burst on the wing, maybe with Tuke Miller having gotten through a game at the AFL level, he can come back inside, and that could allow a spot on the wing to open up a bit more. Frankly, there's no reason Miller shouldn't have been attending center bounces last week. I don't know, maybe that's something that reflected poorly on Stewart. You could have Alex Davies also be considered for a wing role, and I'm hoping to see Mal Rosas and Bobby Orchol in. Chol wasn't mentioned either in any articles that I've seen lately, and I don't understand why. Not just because he was the leading goal scorer last year, but because he had six, I believe, this previous week. He's had 12 goals in his past three games at the reserve level, and would provide a physical presence who's willing to put on some leads, which, other than Levi Caspel, we have not seen out of the Suns. But yeah, outside of the midfield, I could see the Suns making some sweeping changes. We know they have more than enough AFL caliber players. It's a matter of how they use them. I feel like one of two things happens. They make drastic changes or they make like one change. Yeah. It's not like they're going to make like three changes, right? Got to be way more or like one or two. Either one or at least four. You could have two because you have one that's, you know, an injury that we didn't know about. Or a sub getting elevated. I think three is the least likely number. Three! Take it or leave it! Other than Max King. The Saints suffered two other injuries in the first quarter against Melbourne this past week at Marvel. With Seb Ross pulling his hamstring. That's a four to six week timeline. And Zane Cordy concussed as Stephen May took a hanger over him. So a lot of spots to cover. Cordy could be covered a bit in the back if Josh Battle's able to return. He must exit concussion protocol still because Oscar Allen took a hanger over him a week and a half ago. Brad Hill's got a chance to return from the knee injury he suffered against the Eagles. 
seemed to be bothering him throughout the second half and then he really suffered a bit from it late. So have those two and Jack Higgins to watch. From the reserves, Hunter Clark had a successful return from a knee injury. I would not be surprised if he comes straight in as some cover because he'd been in pretty good form before that injury, had been one of their more consistent performers. You can see Jack Bytel return as well with the form he's had. And with the tall issues now, with Cordy and Kane being out, maybe looking for some physicality in the full forward, is it time for a Jack, 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 Jack Hayes season debut? Why not? At this point, why not? And can help match up against Jared Witz physically as well. Not constantly throwing Rowan Marshall in there when he's got so much to offer on the rest of the Oval as well. You know who else I could see getting back in? Uh, he did play against the Saints the first time, but he was out last week, and I'm mostly talking about him because I really want to use a specific soundbite. Sam Flanders? No. Ben Long. It's Ben. Oh, that wasn't even the one I was thinking of. Which one? Long, long, Do Australians know about Sakeru and Long Sakeru You don't have to even know about the gummy, you just have to know about Long Long Man. One of those great Japanese commercial series. Takes one of those, it's not like I know of many others. Uh, it's right up there with Wondercore for me. Yeah, Wondercore is pretty good. The Suns are... Wait, the Suns are favored? By ten and a half? Excuse me? Yeah, I wouldn't put <laughs> that line around. Is this just... The caretaker coach boost plus Sakilda's injuries? I mean, th this seems very strange. And is it, I mean, like, I'm not the most optimistic about the Saints right now, but I see them winning this game. This feels like a must win for, and I, I do see them winning it. I'm just not sure where on the ground they'll have the greatest advantage. I mean, you could see a really strong defensive game out of Sam Collins and Charlie Ballard now that the forward line's likely to get smaller. So maybe that's where things factor in. The Saints forward 50 is going to be the most interesting part of the ground for me, I think. Yeah, look, they ha even though they're missing some dudes, they have played well without Max King before. I think losing Sam Ross hurts a lot, though. He's a bit of a chaos player. He makes a couple brilliant plays a game, but otherwise isn't a great decision maker. In terms of the forward looks, though, I think if you have Hayes in, it's going to be between him and Marshall. And then also Anthony Caminiti to step up and take those contested marks inside 50. Could see a good game out of Matthias Filippo. I think he hasn't quite been at his best form in a while. And has been playing a bit further back as well. Maybe slide him forward as well. I, th I think this is a great opportunity for the younger Saints Tulls to really assert themselves. The more we preview this game, the more I'm interested in it. Whereas Collingwood Frio, I feel like most likely we know what we're getting. I feel like this game, there's... There's like a real element of unpredictability that's going to make this fun. And this is your game to cover. Sure is. Our usual reminder, we're on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. YouTube does handles now. I'll be getting that Road Home video out. Look for that after listening to this. Make sure to have our YouTube channel in your notifications as well, so that you know when our episodes are up. We post audio of it there as well as some shorts and I'll start with some more longer form videos, with the Road Home one being the first of them. Individually, I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe's on Instagram at cat named Brian. He is currently sleeping next to me on my bed. Sometimes he goes crazy while we're recording. Hasn't happened tonight, and I'm grateful for that. Hasn't happened yet. 
We pick up with the middle game on Saturday, and it's Carlton facing Port Adelaide at Marble Stadium. 4.35 p.m. local time, so 4.05 for South Australian audiences. For Americans, 2.35 a.m. Eastern, 11.35 p.m. Pacific. And this is a Fox Sports 1 game, the only Fox Sports 1 telecast that's scheduled for the next few rounds. So take it in. Could be a chance to draw in a few more people because unfortunately, there are a lot of people that don't have access to Fox Sports 2 that do have Fox Sports 1. So I'm going to kind of try to dangle this one in front of a few more people. Blues enter at 7, 8, and 1 in 11th after beating the Dockers. They are right there. Somewhat surprisingly, I guess. Having said that, none of their wins in the past little bit have come against what we consider finals competition. Hawthorne, Gold Coast, Frio. Yeah, in fact, if you look all the way back to the start of the year, even, I mean, their win over Geelong, who was dealing with some injuries, uh, I guess GWS, which certainly didn't feel like at the time, and a game that they should have had a lot more control of. But yeah, all of a sudden, Carlton has a real chance to impress us, show that they're for real, that their season isn't over, and snap the longest current winning streak in the entire competition. Port have not lost since dropping Showdown 53, which was their home showdown, so they're on a 13-game winning streak at 14-2. Meanwhile, last year, after playing the Blues, they fell to 0-5. It was a very typical 2022 Carlton game where the Blues got out to a big early lead at excellent Second quarter saw them leading by 50 at one stage, 49 at the half, and the power clawed it back to within three. Funniest possible scenario, by the way, would be that Port keep their winning streak going the next couple weeks, including over Collingwood, then lose another showdown, and then also lose to Geelong. That would be the optimal scenario, I think. I would find it hilarious, but I don't know. I've got a feeling Collingwood will have, will have their number. I don't know. At the Adelaide Oval... It'll be an amazing atmosphere there. I hope that this one gets a good enough crowd as well. We know that Port, as well as Brisbane, both have habits of play well at Marvel. Power have, I believe, the longest active winning streak there. And this could be a day where, I mean, it would be a tight fit. You probably miss, like, the last few minutes of one game or the start of the other, but you could easily see both Collingwood and Carlton play. If I were in Melbourne, I'd be down. Yeah, or, well, what I would probably do is go to the Collingwood game and then go down the highway to Geelong, but... Anyway, to each their own. On the injury side for Carlton, Matthew Kennedy avoided ACL damage but could still be out for the rest of the year. Could open up an opportunity for George Hewitt to come straight in. We'll see about Patty Dow. He's coming off a concussion, but would probably be the sub anyway. Mitch McGovern coming off his court thigh. He's a test. Was rested in the fourth quarter after playing pretty well before that. One was I was pleasantly surprised by his performance. I would say his best game in about a month. If McGovern's not in, you could have Caleb Marchbank coming back in to cover, but that isn't an exact like-for-like and is a bit of a step down considering McGovern's ceiling. By the way, I found out earlier this year Caleb Marchbank was the first player with the first name of Caleb to play in the VFL and AFL, which is pretty remarkable. We've only had five in AFL history. Marchbank, Daniel, Graham, Sarong, and Poulter. Yeah, that seems... Very surprising. Seems like it's a more common name. Maybe it's just a more recently common name, I guess. Um, as you know, we're going to continue the Carlton Rock Watch with Mark Pittnett and Tom DeConing. They're both still recovering from knee injuries. I'd be shocked if at least one of them isn't 
available this week just with how long it's gone. What impressed me last week was that they were still, despite the disparity in hitouts, able to win those contests on the ground, win clearances overall. I think it was like minus 52 in hitouts and yet plus six in clearance. Yeah, and that's against the guy in Sean Darcy who isn't just getting hitouts. He's usually getting them to advantage. And against the midfield with strong contestant players like Caleb Sarong and Andrew Brayshaw. So if you could do it against them, you could do it against pretty much anyone. So really look for those few seconds off stoppages to be entertaining and decisive. Corey Durden and Zach Fisher could return from their respective knee and hamstring injuries at some level. I doubt it would be an AFL level right away. If you're looking to bring in a forward, I would hope that it's Jesse Motlop after a stronger reserve performance. And still waiting on Jackson Binz's debut. Could be there in the halfback and middle. I don't know. Clock's ticking. You guys know I think Jesse Motlop is really cool and would like to see more of him. I know he's not the best player out there yet, but he he makes for some exciting sequences, and when he's able to get involved, almost always results in scoring. And he's not the only small who's capable of doing that. Now that Jack Martin's in as well, I think some of the defenders' attention could be divided. So I, I would like to see Martin and Motlop both in there, maybe occupy opposite pockets. Carlton are in this weird spot with their health right now where like, yeah, they've actually been playing pretty well the last couple of weeks, but there are still going to be some changes because they're getting healthier and the changes aren't nearly as clear cut as they are for Port. Trent McKenzie is out with an ankle injury. It's two to three weeks, appeared to be more severe at first, was on crutches as he was going down to the rooms. I think now we can definitively say Tom Jonas is back. We think. It seems way too obvious this time. Jonas hasn't played at AFL level since the round 10 win against Melbourne. I think it's got to be time now as cover for McKenzie, if nothing else. And maybe he'll be able to prove himself and stick around through the end of the season. It feels way too obvious that he'll be in, you know, with a couple weeks before finals and into September. When's the last time you've seen a team play finals without their captain and not because of injury? I, I can't think of a time. Yeah, I mean... Last time a club won the fly without the captain, it was certainly because of injury, that being the Bulldogs in 2016 with Bob Murphy being hurt and Easton Woods standing in. There's a chance that Scott Lysette returns after two weeks out with a slight cartilage tear in his knee. Remember, he was that late out round 16 at Essendon, which allowed Dante Vicentini to make his debut. Sam Hayes played last round. Port seemed much more intent on having an actual ruck in there this year than they did last year. And then... I'm personally hopeful that Dean Dersma's older son, Xavier, comes back in after impressing in the two games with the Port Magpies since he got back from his knee injury. Just tough to find a space for him. And with so many players consistently winning at the AFL level, including a couple that have yet to lose, I mean, there are certain guys that you literally can't take out. If you're looking at who, I guess, Dersma could come in for, I mean, on the smaller forward side, I mean, I like what Jed McAtee's done, it would be it's a hard, it would be hard to try and squeeze him in there, is the point. The line on this game is quite narrow. Port by six and a half? Yeah, I would put it out higher. Like, I know Port do have this habit of winning close games, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do that here, but, like, if you're putting it in the middle of all the realistic outcomes, I'd put this somewhere in the 15 to 18 point. Yeah? I was thinking 17 and a half. And, and again, look at who Carlton have beat. They beat nobody, Paul. Yeah, th- this is kind of like a fine bomb show situation there. In the past three weeks, the Blues haven't really beaten anybody who's above them in the finals race. I mean, look, the Prio win is not bad. 
I'll give him that. It was a very impressive win, honestly, but I need to see a win or two against against clubs that are in the eight, solidly in the finals race, if not basically already had the spot guaranteed. They've got time to impress us, certainly, considering they've also got games against Collingwood, St. Kilda, Melbourne rounds 20 through 22, but I think Port is a bridge too far at this point. Geelong and Essendon play at the Cattery, and people are mad. I think the solution, of course, would be to move the to move the Chicago Bears home game against the Dallas Cowboys to Arlington. Let's try applying this scenario to any other situation in any other sport, and you'll realize just how fucking dumb it is. I think the only reason that the complaint is there in the first place is because half the stands aren't finished. No, I think there would still be people complaining anyway. What is so wrong about Geelong having their own ground when Geelong certainly is not Melbourne? I, I don't know. It would be like saying the Gold Coast Suns have to play at the Gabba every game. Or the Swans won't draw well enough, you gotta put him at the show round. I don't get it. It's 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 stupid and unnecessary. I don't think we're missing anything in here. I think it's just that stupid. And I'm hoping Geelong blast Essendon like they did in round seven. It looked a lot closer than it actually was by the 28-point margin, but Essendon got some garbage time goals. That's the only reason that they ended up getting triple digits. Tom Hawkins kicked 8-1, kicked 4 in the first quarter, 6 in the first half. That said, the Bombers are coming off one of their best performances of the year, really hoping they can't string multiple great performances together. All of a sudden, they're at fifth after they defeated the Crows and got above the Saints on percentage. Yeah, they're at just 9-7, and seven, so... But the cast sitting at 8, 7, and 1 in an 8, you know, there's all this worry about making the 8, and then you realize all of a sudden, like, wow, this is actually right there and totally attainable. I mean, the Cats are just a game and a half off fourth. Geelong have won five straight meetings, and this game has some extra significance, particularly for us, considering where our footy fandom lies and what your cat's name is. It will be Brian Myers' 100th game. He has 28 assists on the year, by the way, added to this past week. The next closest is Christian Petraka with 20. Been really cool to see just like some of the stuff that the club has been posting in the lead up. I love how he's this guy that has transitioned from kicking seven goals in the under 18 grand final to never looking for goal. I mean, I would like him to kick more goals because I like celebrating them. But also, if he wants to just be the assist god, that's also totally okay. It'll be really great if he goes out and gets to be the assist god all year, and then come finals has like a five-goal game. I would be so down for it, but the only time he's able to put up any more than two goals is against North. Uh, so he's done it to the Crows. I guess, yeah. Looks like Jeremy Cameron should be back from his concussion this week. Probably could have made it back last week, but wasn't. You know, there was no need to rush him. Uh, Isaac Smith was managed last week. I would think he can get in as well. We'll see about Jed Buz and Jake Kolajashny. Jed returning from a knee injury. Kolajashny from an adductor. You would think Oshin Mullen would be one to come out of the lineup in that case. Also, Mitch Nevitt playing well in VFL. Maybe you could elevate him into the sub role. Or maybe just bring him into the 22 to begin with, honestly. You need defensive midfield pressure. Something that two Mitches could help provide between him and Duncan. And... He could do that while also allowing Mark O'Connor to play Zach Merritt or Darcy Parrish closely. There's a case to be made for either of them to get the tag put on them after last week. At this point, I would say Merritt, who's probably been an All-Australian for the past month. 
Maybe you could even consider Jai Caldwell for the tag. Is that? I don't think that's crazy. I think he'd be the third option behind Merritt and Parrish. Not entirely crazy, though. Caldwell has been playing strongly as of late. A lot of things for Chris Scott to consider. One thing that could help Geelong's case, though, is that they did so well against Essendon's shorter defensive route to begin with, and Jordan Ridley is unlikely to play this week, and he's one of their more active interceptors, if not the most active for them. He was cleared of a serious knee injury, but having a return for Saturday looks unlikely at this point. So Kane Baldwin's the likely cover there. We've seen him a couple times this year. Nick Cox has yet to play this season. He's also an option. The real problems, though, lie in the tallest that Essendon do actually have, but won't this week. Andrew Phillips was suspended a game for a bump on Riley O'Brien. Sam Draper looks unlikely to return, so this one would be his third game out in a row. Uh... Game on, Nick Bryan. Good luck. Yeah, that seems to be the most likely scenario. So Bryan and Reese Stanley probably the whole way, because if it's Bryan, that probably does allow Mark Blitzoz to stay out of the ruck almost the entire time, do the roving that he normally does. Which I would definitely be happy to see, because he's best in that role. There needs to be some pressure also on Sam Wiedemann at last. He's been goalless in the last six games. He knew he would have a decline in production with Peter Wright, coming back in a few rounds ago. Is Brad Scott holding on to hope that he could beat his brother Chris with Wiedemann because he kicked five in round seven? I mean, most of those weren't super important goals, but if if, if they want to hang on to that, I'm not going to complain. Especially if he goes goalless again, like I expect him to, honestly. But I think he gets one. You think he does? Maybe one. He doesn't get two. I think Patrick Voss is more likely to get two goals. Bring him in. Bring Walla in, even. Yes, he's shorter, way shorter, but bring in Walla. I like being able to clap for a goal against my team, which happens when he scores. Even if it's a goal that would put Essendon in the front late, that would be tough. It, but in like 90% of scenarios, I'm happy for him to score. I remember seeing a clip of Gary Ablett Jr. playing for the Suns, and it was pretty clear that Geelong were going to win, and he kicked a really impressive goal, and just after a few seconds... Kurt Indian Park started applauding like normal. You want something kind of like that. Geelong are 24 and a half point favorites. I guess if you're looking at average outcome, it makes sense, but I, I'd put this a few points tighter. Yeah, my hope is that similar to last time, just too much physicality for an Essendon midfield that while they're quick, they are super bulky. They are great at laying tackles. And, and then also just the tall forwards clunking all the marks. Yeah, and... Considering where this game is being played, you know, I, I like our chances better. This is far from a sure thing, though. Even with the Cats having already had their one loss for the year at Cardinia Park. Yeah, Essendon is playing well right now and need to be taken seriously. I, I think there's a non-zero chance that we just roll them, which would be awesome. I think it's a zero chance that Essendon just rolls along, though. If this game is going to be a blowout, it'll go Geelong's way. I feel like the most Essendon can realistically win this game by would be, like, what? About 16. I was about to say 17, actually. The final game to bounce on Saturday, and likely the final game to finish, the Crows and Giants will rematch at Adelaide Oval. You may remember back at the show round in round one, the Giants were down two rotations between late summer heat and cramping and injuries, but the Crows didn't kick accurately, and Greater Western Sydney to end up winning by 16 points. That loss doesn't look nearly as bad now, but... We can look back on it at the end of the year and see if the Crows end up in ninth 
we can pinpoint that loss as to why they remain, they would be sitting at home in September. Also in that game, Shane McAdam lit up Jacob Ware with a bump and got suspended three games for it. Ware just got clobbered in those two games early in the year and has not played at the AFL level since. I mean, GWS has played well enough as a team that it would be hard to change much. Both clubs come in at 8-8 eight and eight just outside of the 8, ninth playing 10th. The Giants really need to help their percent, though. It's below 100. Or just go out and win a bunch of games and then percent doesn't matter. But as we've said, they're playing with house money at this point. They've already exceeded our expectations for this year. This game will bounce, by the way, at 7.10 p.m. local time. So 7.40 p.m. in the Pacific states of Australia. For Americans, 5.40 a.m. Eastern, 2.40 a.m. Pacific on Saturday the 15th. And I imagine our friend Rick Shibani out in Los Angeles will be up early to watch this one, as we will be. Well, really, it'll be late for us, because we'll have been up to watch the rest of the footy. This being a late-night game is kind of odd. This is a matchup that always screams, like, you know, early in the afternoon. So it's cool that these teams have played well enough to merit that sort of attention, even if it's going to be going up against another game. I'm just glad to see more Crows night games in general. You think of the Adelaide Oval night, you think of Port. And that's an amazing atmosphere, but I love seeing this as well. This is the 250th game for Rory Sloan. Also, the Crows are going to get Jordan Butts back from concussion, which is significant. You could tell he was out last week. Between Butts and Jude not being in, Nick Murray struggled a bit with Peter Wright, and really all the matchups just were a couple rungs further down for Athlete than they would normally have been. I know you're looking more at tall forwards here, giving them trouble. And I know he's a smaller defender, but I'm still a big fan of Patrick Parnell. I just, he's just so small though. It's so thin that it's, it's tough for him to body up against the type of forwards that the Giants have unless maybe, I mean, Toby Green would even bully him. Do you want to maybe running with Bedford or Brent Daniels? I, I could see some work there. It, it, it's a very awkward situation to try and throw him into. I know Parnell's money become one of your favorites. I also know that Harry Schumberg's a personal favorite of yours. He was the sub last week and was pretty productive in the quarter that he had. I believe nine disposals in the port. So has he won himself a spot in the 22 at this point? I would surprise for it to be at the expense of Jake Saligo, even though he was the one who was subbed out last week. Fortunately, I won my fantasy matchup last week, but uh, picking up Saligo did not work. You dump him already? Yep. Who'd you get in return? That one, I've made a whole flurry of moves in the last few days, and I might have to make a couple more because of injuries, but let's see. So, Lego, I dropped for, ah, I brought Max Holmes back. Ah, reasonable. Yeah, I had to drop Holmes in the first place because of just when buys were. I managed the buys damn well, I'll say. And you can pat yourself on the back for that behind me on the ladder. Yeah, you jumped me in percent this week. Not by much, but I am up to third. Yeah, we're both, like, securely in the finals. I would hope, yeah. We we got the top 2% in our first year playing. By the way, I mentioned Shane McAdam earlier. He had three goals in the sample, so maybe this is the time for him to finally get back in. Not sure if who he'd be taking out there. I hate for it to be coming at the expense of Riley Philthorpe, especially with the tall matchups being of some importance on, on the ground and Philthorpe being able to take some rock contests. But I don't see many other ways for him to get in unless... I mean, maybe if Chase Jones gets dropped and have McAdam is more running half forward, that isn't his type of game, though. 
I, I guess that's a possibility. Maybe locking Murphy's at risk that as well. I'd honestly take Murphy out before Jones. But uh, speaking of Lockies, there's one out for the Giants. Yeah, Lockie Keefe did his hamstring. Other changes for the Giants look like Xavier O'Halloran might be done for the season with a thumb injury. At the very least, he's going to be out like a month. Yeah, that's really disappointing. O'Halloran had been one of the many smaller spark forwards for them. A surprisingly good kick from outside 50. Also, Nick Haynes is suspended a week. Yeah, that was a dangerous tackle on Josh Ward, I believe. Haynes had been the sub to come on when Keith got hurt. So it was so weird that he was a sub to begin with. I wonder if they were concerned about Keith before the game, and that's why they had him as the sub to provide cover. I don't know, but this is going to stretch the Giants a bit. At least up front, you'll probably be getting Brent Daniels back this week, and he had been playing really well. That's why I had mentioned Big uh, in the first place. Having him and Toby Bedford again going from either flank and half forward should be fun. They worked really well, kind of each taking a side of the oval. Now, can Jake Riccardi keep his production up even with Daniels back in there? Because he's had to step up without Daniels. Can he do it with Daniels out there? I, I think he can because he's more of a marking target than a live play target. But what do you do defensively? I mean, I would say if Bill Davis is good to go, bring him back in. Maybe that's the guy you put on Taylor Walker right away. Would that be... Would that be too extreme? I mean, I, I'm not sure. That would be great, though, having the former Crow come back in and right away against a guy that he played with before going over to the Giants. Considering what Davis has done against guys like Buddy, I would totally support them. Yeah, I mean, you're thinking about even just back to last year, the opening round, Davis, keeping Buddy anywhere close from a 1,000 in round one. If he's able to go, I would love it. Between Davis and Lecolier, there are options there. I'd love to see both of them. If you are concerned about them getting through a game, you could have one of them be the sub, like we saw with Jerry McGovern and Tom Cole for the Eagles this past week. That's where, you know, having a tactical sub adds that wrinkle in there. Are you looking to manage that one player, or are you wanting to get someone with more versatility in there to have greater coverage overall and kind of shore up your strategy going into the fourth quarter? Down to the VFL, looks like Wade Dirksen and Max Grzewski each put up... Is it Grzewski, Grzewski? I'm going to go with Grzewski until told otherwise. Could be Grzewski. Either way, those two each had four goals. If there was another open forward spot, which doesn't seem to be the case right now with the idea of Daniels coming back, they'd make a push to debut. And then Aaron Cadman had two goals. I'd be fine with keeping Cadman down there, as we said, for the rest of the year, allow him more development time like we saw with Jamari Yugel Hagen. Yeah, unless he really tells you he's ready, he can stay down there and I don't think it will be too much of a concern. Or unless Riccardi falls off. I just want to talk about how wild a scenario we, that would have been at the start of the year to consider. When, like, he was supposed to be one of the only positives for this team and instead guys taken with the following picks have played much better so far have cemented their lineup spots. He hasn't, and yet GWS sit here well in the finals conversation. Finn Callahan, 22 under 22. I hope he's a lock. Oh, he's gotta be. I'm scared that him playing for GWS will put him at risk of not making it. Nah, I think he's gotta be in. I, I would hope. Crows favored by 16 and a half. Home oval advantage will play a role here. I mean, we know what the Crows trends are, and with the questions we have about the Giants' back line, maybe that sways the odds makers a bit. Both these teams have some injury issues to deal with. 
So I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of unpredictability with this game. Hope you got two screens so you can watch Jalog Essendon and this game at the same time. We'll both have that going on. Only two games this Sunday, and three of the four teams are the three at the bottom of the ladder. So, I mean, do you call this Snooze Fest Sunday? Do you call this... I wouldn't call it Snooze Fest because Toby Bedford isn't playing. Do you call it um, Sleep Through It Sunday? Ooh, that's an option. What about... Are, are we going for alliteration? Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking of a couple other ideas. Sickos Sunday. I, I mean, I think Sickos needs to have a bit more in it than just bottom teams. Sleepy Sunday instead of Snooze Fest. Slog Sunday. So okay if you make other plans Sunday. I guess that's alliteration. Kind of forced, but yeah. It's nothing wrong with making other plans Sunday. I like it. We need merch. So we start off with what we call the Tasmanian timeshare tussle. It's not a Tasmanian tussle because it's in Victoria. Yeah, so it's the Tasmanian timeshare tussle. Since both of these teams, while the game's in Victoria, have their timeshares on various parts of Tasmania. Hawthorne hosted North back in round three in Launceston and won that game by 19. North struggled without Luke Davies-Uniak and Jai Simpkin. And now it'll be the Kangas' turn to host the Hawks at Marvel Stadium at 1.10 p.m. local time. So in the U.S., 11.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 Pacific on Saturday night on Fox Soccer Plus. I just got it. Seems like a decent time to make other plans Sunday. Okay, that's your winner. That's your winner. Snuffing made me laugh, though. Yeah, North Ed are at 2-14. They're in 17th. They've lost 14 in a row. Hawks are 4-12. and 12. They're in 16th. They have not lost 14 in a row. They've only lost three in a row uh, since the bye. They're 0-3. Went into the bye on that win over the Lions and won three out of four. Haven't won one since. And I guess, based on what happened earlier this year, Jai Simpkin will not be playing the Hawks at all this year. He was concussed once again, his second concussion in six weeks. So his recovery will be taken somewhat slowly. Wouldn't be shocked if he's a multiple week out, like we saw with James H. for Frio, given his concussion history. That's probably the most impactful out in terms of this game alone, but Griffin Logue tearing his ACL cannot be overlooked with how North's back line have struggled already. That occurred in the first half this past week out in Geelong. Jack Zeeble came on as the sub there. I imagine he... Guess a spot in the 22 at this point. Yeah, felt weird that he wasn't in there to begin with, especially if you're throwing out guys like Hayden Core. Uh, Lockie Young is another one who kind of struggled. I've been advocating for Josh Goder to get back in. He had a good showing in North's Reserves win at Geelong on Sunday. So please make the move, Brett Ratton. You're going to need to figure out how these taller pieces are going to be able to hold their own in the post-Ben McKay future, if they can hold their own. I think Goder getting hurt really hurt North a lot more than than people may be thinking about this year. You know, it's funny, as much as I'll joke about making other plans and as much as I might end up making other plans, this is actually a game I'm kind of interested in. Just kind of looking at the longer term. Exactly. And it's, you know, two teams I think you know, we're learning more about each week. Like this past week, I really enjoyed getting a chance to appreciate more of Eddie Ford's game. I mean, I already knew he was good, but it was really nice to watch him again. Beat you to it. And then with Hawthorne, you know, we know about Jai Newcomb. I want to I learn about someone new for them. Like, earlier this year, I learned about Connor Nash and that he's tall. A capable tall tagger, which I love. 
Uh, speaking of Hawthorne, James Sicily should be back from his suspension, and Luke Bruce could be back from his badly bruised throat. Bruised? 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 Or is he just a throat goat? Who, who else do we say was a throat goat? Somebody else? Obama? I mean, from what I've been told, what I've read, Nancy Reagan kind of had that role. I, I forgot. Well, we, we had mentioned a throat goat earlier this year in the Gather Round based on episode titles and thumbnails. I need to go back and remember who that was, I guess. Maybe it was Obamna. Obamna! Uh, Ned Long and Henry Hustwaite played well in the VFL. So did Cam McKenzie. Uh, Mid-season draftee Brandon Ryan, not to be confused with shitty-hitting good defensive shortstop Brendan Ryan, who was the last out in the perfect game. Four goals, and Lloyd Meek was solid. They gotta make sure that their ruck situation doesn't turn into more, like, interchangeable meh. I don't think Ned Reeves and Lloyd Beaker are interchangeable net. Yeah, I think they both have the potential to be above average, but I, I don't know. It's been weird lately. And that's something I'd like to see resolved heading into next season. And speaking of rucks for North, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Todd Goldstein does need to be in there. Places where you can keep the old guy in for leadership, for vibes. And this is that place. If Goldstein had any intention at all, which we haven't seen of not just being a one-club guy, it will be way easier to say, all right, we may, you know, we're going to let Tristan Jerry, Callum Coleman-Jones take their lumps there, but I think it will be right to let Goldstein really play things out. And I think that Jerry and Coleman-Jones can get good experience in the, in the VFL. Jerry more. So I think Coleman-Jones has more of a place in the AFL team right now because he's more versatile than just going for hitouts. I mean, Jerry, though, you put him in the VFL, he can go out there against, you know, there are enough good ruckmen, like big-ass dude like Ned Moyle, or, I mean, John Sangler's not good, but someone up-and-coming like Toby Conway could have been a matchup for him this past week. E exactly. We'll get a couple other VFL performers for North as well. Will Phillips has done all right in the middle. Would love for him to get back in and shut Kane Corns the fuck up. Also, mid-season draftees and four goals. I guess this is a theme because Robert Hansen, their top pick in the mid-season draft, had four goals in easily his best scheme with the club. So maybe there's a case for him to come in. Will be tough to fit him in as well as George Wardlaw and Liam Shields, with both of them likely to return from what ailed them. was a calf injury for Shields, illness for Wardlaw. So I imagine Charlie Lozaro comes back out, even though he did all right for himself this past week. He wasn't the issue. I'd like to see more of Lozaro, actually. I think he's an interesting player. Hard to fit him, Wardlaw, and Phillips all in there, though. Hawthorne are 12 and a half point favorites. See nothing wrong with that. Neither do I. I think I do think they win this. It's just a matter of judging the margin. And with it being 19 last time, you know what? Actually, I, I'd push this out toward closer to four goals, considering Hawthorne North's defensive struggles and that Mitch Lewis is in when he wasn't in round three. I don't know. I also think there's a chance that North really look at these next couple games as a chance to really go hard to get a win. You know, in the next three weeks, you've got this and the Eagles, so there's a chance that North really get up for this game and make something happen. I hope they do, I just don't expect it. But speaking of the Eagles, once again, they're the round closer, hosting Richmond out at Optus Stadium. 2.40 p.m. local, 4.40 p.m. for Victorian audiences. For Americans, 2.40 a.m. Eastern, Sunday the 16th, 11.40 p.m. Pacific, Saturday the 15th on Fox Soccer+. Plus. Richmond tend to have really good showings out of state. I know they have a decent Western following, 
thinking back to how great that Dreamtime atmosphere was when that was pushed to Perth, having the big Western Tigers and Bombers crowds there. Because of how well Eagles fans continue to show up and the strong Richmond base, I think you could have decent crowd numbers for this. I think this will push into the 40s. Yeah, this should, this should be a fun atmosphere. And I, I hope it's competitive throughout. I hope this is along the lines of the uh, Saints game a couple weeks ago. You know, winning would be cool, but just keeping people entertained for four quarters is the biggest thing. I mean, the fact that they only lost to the Tigers by 46 in round eight is kind of encouraging in that case, considering who they were still without, even though that was how Richmond snapped their five-game losing streak. Tigers currently in 12th at 7, 8, and 1 after defeating the Swans. They're just behind the Blues on percentage. They're right there. So this is a win we expect them to pick up, boost their points and percentage. They've got Hawthorne the week after that, and they've got North round 23. So some potential for them to use those bottom of three sides to really strengthen their case for September. Now, a couple big reasons that the Eagles struggled defensively against the Brisbane Lions. I mean, they were playing the Brisbane Lions, but... Also, Luke Shuey and Shannon Hearn were managed for the long trip. Makes sense considering, you know, as I said, the long trip and their age and their injuries they've had this season. They should both be back in, so that right away should make things more competitive. We could see the most complete Eagles back group in a couple years because expectations are that Hearn, Barris, and McGovern will all play, and you could even see Tom Cole elevated into the 22 after his successful return as the sub last week. Tom Cole has a mustache and a huge fucking nose, right? Number 28. Yeah, that's what I saw. With all of that in there, I mean, I guess Red Bazo could be a casualty. Just please don't take out Brady Hoff after the performance he had. I imagine he keeps his spot considering he held Charlie Cameron goalless and looks like a much stronger one-on-one matchup for small forwards than I expected at this stage in his career. That was just his 25th game this past week. Oh, no, it's... Hoff's got to be in, I would think. And no, I don't know the ins and outs of Eagles list management, but Bazo's the guy who's more on the fringe, or maybe someone else gets managed. Unbelievably, the Eagles could have up to six AFL-listed players in the waffle this week. It's been down to as few as two at times. So that's, you know, a clear sign of health there. And also love that Jake Waterman returned to training after pretty serious out for him. Doubt that he plays again this year, but good sign that he's there. Hopefully he can stick around. I like the guy. On the Richmond side of things, Tobin and Curvis, as we said, out three weeks. You know, when Tom Stewart, like, literally murdered someone last year, he got four. Because I guess that was intentional conduct, and what and what Tobin and Curvis did was careless because he's bigger? I, they're stupid. It, it, am I whining that Tom Stewart was labeled intentional conduct? I don't know, but it's like, you can't tell me that that's worse than with Nankervis at all. Richmond people tell you he should still be suspended. Suspended? The fucking electric chair. Actually, no, he should have been given the ultimate punishment. Put in the stocks? Playing games at Marvel Stadium. I hate playing that. Uh, Jacob Bowers can be out with that hamstring injury. 78 seconds. All I can think of, family guy deep cut here, uh, Stewie and Fran. Huh? So, future Stewie or Stu loses his virginity to a co-worker. It lasts eight seconds, and then he cries for 40 minutes after. I mean, I guess Bauer popped his AFL cherry. Ivan or Yvonne Soldo, I mean, is going to get a game. It's an obvious in. He's dealt with a plantar fasciitis issue for a lot of the season. 
played one game, but healthy again, and a much more like-for-like for, like for Nan than Samson Ryan would be. Though there's potential for Ryan to still be in. Jack Ross was the sub last week. He was excellent on the wing. I think you gotta elevate him. I think you gotta keep him there on the wing, and I think that would move Marlon Pickett a bit more inside, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, Ryan Mansell should be back from his suspension this week. Yeah, Richmond in three-game suspensions. It's a thing. Was Nathan Broad suspended for three, or was that four? Think his week four? Yes, it was, but it's going to be a fun Brownlow night with how many guys are going to get votes that don't count. I just hope at this point that, like, the top few guys aren't the victims of late-season suspensions. I kind of hope they are. I think it would be really funny if it's, like, like the Tour de France. So the way cycling works, you know how you actually win at cycling? You're the fastest guy who doesn't use steroids. Yeah, so basically, like, finish 20th okay. and don't take steroids, and eventually the title will get passed down to you. I I'm not sure. I don't think they ever actually reawarded the the Tour de France championships that Lance Armstrong won. So I'm not sure about that. I think it I think the more accurate comparison is, like, that really dirty women's 1500-meter Olympic race in 2012. There are, like, three or four suspensions for that one, including one who's been given a lifetime ban for doping. Yeah, that's that's what I'd like to see. Um, just like finishing twentieth, and then everyone else gets disqualified, and you win. You win with like fourteen votes. There's like the I'm pretty sure there, there was something like that, like a Jimmy Neutron episode. It was like a three legged race or something, and Carl and his dad win because everyone else cheated. Even though Carl is allergic to himself and his dad's legs, Mrs. Neutron. Good. I think I would do Rob Paulson proud. Now that, wait, also, I found out how to wrap this episode up so I can write some uh, Carl Weezer, Judy Neutron fan fiction. Please, no. Probably already been done. Oh, yeah, it has. I'm sure it has. I did mention, though, that Samson Ryan can come in. There's talk that Jack Revolt gets managed and maybe Trent Codgett as well. At least one of them, probably, for the trip out west, and considering they should win this game comfortably. Tigers are 41 and a half point favorites. I could see this being more respectable, whether it's respectable in the way that it was when West Coast lost to Collingwood, where it's like, you got killed for enough of the game that it pushed out the margin, but you had stretches where you were actually good. Or it could be more akin to the game against the Saints, although I don't think they'd be able to keep it within, like, eight. What What do you see? You obviously know this team much better than I do. I think it can be as little as around 25 points. I wouldn't be terribly mad about that. I think they could be physically outdone in the 450 by by a host of Richmond players. I could see Dusty really putting on a show, especially against one of the older backline stalwarts for the Eagles, just being able to out-muscle him at this point. And also, I want to see him prove that he doesn't just need wet conditions to thrive at this point. So, you well, know, you see the maximum margin as? 158. Gotcha. You know what? Fuck it. Dusty for main character. All right. Yeah, that's a good segue. I, I really think, though, I believe he had a, a goal from 29 this past week. He had the last goal that was really an exclamation point on things. He's I had a pick my main character for this week. I think we got to go with, it's kind of already there, Cardinia Park. Just the ground itself and just as of that, just because it's hosting this yeah, game against Essendon in particular. Yeah, and maybe, maybe we'll have a construction guy that gets to retrieve balls. I mean, we saw that last year. I included that and we didn't bounce the Sharon. Construction guy, Gil to resign. Powerful to 0 5. All right, we're going to wrap this thing up. You know where to find us. We're on Twitter at Americans Footy. 
I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe's on Instagram at Cat Named Brian. I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. And yeah, find that video on YouTube if you haven't already. I think you'll like the approach that I did to breaking down the very crowded hunt for those final four spots. 